What excites you? And how do you show it? <clears throat> I am pleased to tell you that uh, yesterday, after a, a terrible traumatic experience on my first float trip in Missouri back in 2007, we went floating again. Now, if you had never heard me talk about our first float trip, then see me later. I don't have time to talk about it today, but, it, but let me say it was, a, it was not an ex a pleasurable experience, and we paid a lot of money for it. Yesterday, we had a lot better time on the Niangua, uh, and I saw why everybody, everybody before we went the first time was talking about how great this was and how, how you'll love it, and I was like, I don't think so. But now I see why people get excited about float trips because the water is beautiful, the river was beautiful, and uh, we had a good time, although it was pretty crowded yesterday, I can tell you. But I, I don't know if you're watching the, the World Cup. You know, I've grown to love soccer. Uh, I really uh, like to watch it. Uh, I never played it uh, when I was younger, but I, I, and the World Cup has been an experience the games have been great, but I tell you, I've, I've gotten a lot of joy out of watching the reaction of the fans. Have you noticed this? They'll, they'll pan on people that are all gathered together, and particularly some of the international countries. When they score a goal, you would think that Jesus was coming back. And when they score a goal, uh, grown men start crying. One ball in the net. Everybody starts hugging, and, and they are just going crazy. Because they've scored a goal, right? What excites you and how do you show it? Today, this passage of Scripture, we're in the, the uh, verses 3 through 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1. They, the main theme of these verses is to praise God. It's to worship God. I think it means to be excited for God. To be excited to show uh, your relationship with God and who you are in Christ. I wonder today if we need to hear these words. Peter, after he gets through the opening two verses, which normally we skip over, but as I showed you last week, there's a lot of meat there. And then he gets to verse 3 and he just simply says, Praise me to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise him. Friends, if you hear nothing else today, I hope that perhaps it changes the way you view every day. Because what Peter is saying here is this is the key to experiencing the blessings of God. This is the key to having a positive attitude about everything that goes on in life, even the things that are negative, even the trials and the troubles. As I shared last week, Peter is writing to people who are being persecuted because of their faith. People who are facing terrible things. Prison, death, separation from their loved ones. Facing terrible things because of their faith. And, and he says, praise God. Now, John Piper says about these verses, he could have said, uh, he could have come and said, well, now I have five points to make and Here's number one, y'all take notes. But that's not what he says. It reminds me of the importance of what we do here on Sunday, at least this part. I, I hope when I speak to you in a sermon, I hope to do three things. I hope you ask me three questions. 
Yeah, now, not verbally. It'd be a mess if all of us asked the questions at once. But I hope you're asking me in your head three questions. Are you telling me the truth? Does it matter to you? And why should it matter to me? Every time you hear a sermon, you should ask yourself or ask the speaker those questions. Phillips Brooks said, preaching is the impartation of truth through personality. It is God's truth. And I still believe that truth matters. I believe today it matters more than ever because there is so much untruth that as mask as truth in our world today, that the truth, God's truth, matters. And so as we bring the word, you ask yourself those questions, and then you ask yourself two questions about what you hear. Do I want to know what God says? Do I really want to know the truth? And am I willing to be changed by the truth I hear? Friends, I tell you today, and the very fact is that a lot of us miss out on what praise and worship really is. We think that praise and worship is what we do on Sunday morning when we gather together. We think that listening to a sermon is praise and worship. Now hopefully it is a, a beneficial experience. If we ask ourselves those questions, it will be. But understand this, that praise and worship is an attitude. Praise and worship is a perspective that you bring to every moment, every day, every relationship in your life. And I'm convinced, unfortunately, that a lot of us aren't excited by being found in Christ. A lot of us aren't excited about being sons and daughters of Christ. A lot of us aren't looking forward to every day, no matter what comes, because of the great things God has done. Make no mistake, the star of these three verses is God. It's not us. If we could get over our self-perception, uh, self if we get over our self-possession, if we could start realizing that what God wants us to hear is it's about him and what he's done for us that makes all the difference. See, he's given five blessings here that every believer has, can understand, can take to the bank. Five reasons to play, praise God. Five blessings that mean that we live a life of praise. We live a life of worship. The first is this. Uh, the believer <coughs> is, experiences God's mercy. The believer in Jesus experiences God's mercy. I read the verse, the first part of it. Let's read it again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. His mercy. What is mercy? You know, it comes from the medieval Latin. Be surprised. It actually means price paid or wages. We get the English word merchandise from that root word. Isn't that amazing? God, God's mercy. What that's saying is it calls into mind the great Greek word for redemption that God has, he not only has created us and given us the blessings of life that we need, but he understands that we would sin when he gave us free will. He understood that we would, we would choose to rebel against him. And he also in his holiness and justice understood that there would need to be a price paid. There would, there would need to be a punishment for that sin. And so in God's great plan of redemption, 
he not only creates us, but when we mess up, he provides a way for us back by paying the price, by giving Jesus Christ as our redemption to free us from the slavery to sin, to bring us back to Christ. That's mercy. Mercy. It doesn't and isn't necessary to extend mercy. It is something that's done voluntarily. In God's great mercy, later on in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, you formerly knew no mercy, but now you know God's mercy. That's a huge statement. In his great mercy, because of this mercy of God, he comes to the, the primary reason that we praise him. The primary blessing is this. The believer in Jesus is born again. The believer in Jesus is born again. There's a physical birth that all of us have been through. Let me ask you, did you ask to be born? Did you cause yourself to be born? And how do you know that you really were born? You say, well, I have a birth certificate. Well, birth certificates can be faked. You can say there's a bunch of pictures of me, unless you weren't the firstborn. <laughs> Isn't it funny how the firstborn gets all the pictures? And if you're the fourthborn, we probably don't see you in any of the pictures until graduation. There are pictures of me. Those can be fake too. That can be somebody else. All babies look alike, <laughs> at least to me. It kills me when people stand around the nursery. Usually it's the females among us uh, at the risk of being, I hope y'all don't see me as sexist. The females will say, it looks like granddad or it looks like dad or mom. And I'm like, it looks like a baby to me. I can't tell one baby from another. I've never seen an ugly baby. They all look alike to me. You might say that, uh, that that's my picture. Well, they could be anybody. You say, well, they got a, they've got a, a frame of my footprint. Well, your foot's a lot bigger now, and that might be somebody else's footprint. How do you know you were born? The best evidence for you being born is this. I'm alive. Amen. I'm right here today, breathing and taking in and experiencing life. Therefore, I know I'm alive because I'm alive right now. Similarly, when we talk about being born again, a lot of times we break down the discussion to this. I walked the aisle in 1977, or I was baptized in uh, 2004, or I, I, I started going to church regularly and, and stopped partying in 2007. That, that's kind of our external evidence arguments. Friends, I'm convinced to you, and I want to share with you today, that being born again is having the life of God within you. It's producing the fruit of God living in you. It's being spiritually reborn by the, the supernatural work of us giving ourselves to God. But make no mistake, it is not our faith that saves us. It is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and our acceptance of that and even that God causes that faith to grow up within us. You see, what this verse is saying to you is it praise God because God did it. God brought me to life. God brought revival in my life. God renewed me in life. See, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about what he has done. And because of that, our hearts, our lives should overflow with praise. 
We are born again. How, how, how recent has it been that you have just been overcome with joy, that you've been moved to tears because you have been born again if you're a believer? If you're not a believer, you can have that experience. But it means turning away from doing your thing and letting God touch you. Letting God bring you to confession of your sin, to repenting of your sin, to calling on the name of the Lord Jesus as our Messiah, the Son of God, and being baptized into Christ. That's, that's the experience that God wants to cause to well up within you. Friends, today you can be born again. But it means allowing God to do his thing in you. And it, for those of us, whether we've been born again are yet to be. God's desire is that we live our life in praise for him. The third blessing here, the believer in Jesus has a living hope. Has a living hope. It's a shame to see somebody without hope. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a desperate place to be. But what I like here is, is he calls this a living hope. And he says in another place, Jesus is our living hope. Crucial adjective, uh, that it means it's ongoing. It means it's perceptible, this living hope. And friends, I've experienced this as I go through troubles and trials, as, as I allow and ask for God to, to give me that living hope. He, he does that. It reminds me when I was a young boy, uh, and if you haven't, if you don't remember this because you're a little younger than me, you could look it up. Uh, the New York Knicks were in the championship and the NBA team, and they were playing, and they were, there was great concern because their, their great center, Willis Reed, was hurt. And so they get ready to have a, a crucial game, and, and you see from the locker room doors emerge Willis Reed. I'm getting goosebumps even as I tell it. I mean, it's such a powerful moment. Nobody expects him to play, and he, on about one and a half legs, limps out and goes to the warm-ups in and before the game. Now, you might not remember it, but the Knicks went on to win the championship, and, and you might think it's because Willis Reed came out and scored a lot of points and had a lot of rebounds. But he didn't really do that much numerically. I would say to you, his impact was the hope that he brought to his team. Some of us are going through relationship struggles right now. You need a living hope. Some of us are going through relationship, or excuse me, financial difficulties. You need a living hope. Some of us have lost the zest we used to have for life. You, you need a living hope. Some of us perhaps are not sure about what to do next. You need a living hope. God creates for us in each of us, a purpose, a plan. And it is in conjunction with Jesus Christ working within us, the living hope flowing through us, that he wants us to do our best work. He wants us to enjoy and minister in life. The third or fourth blessing is uh, the believer in Jesus has a guaranteed inheritance. A guaranteed inheritance. You know, uh, <clears throat> this point in life, a little farther on, I'll start thinking about buying an annuity. You know what an annuity is? 
It's where you, you put down a certain set of money uh, to uh, an investment company or a bank, and they promise to pay you so much. If you have a guaranteed pension, you know what I'm talking about. They promise to pay you so much every month for as long as you live so that you don't run out of money, that you have some money to live on. Well, notice what the word says here in verse 4, that we have an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade this inheritance is kept in heaven for you an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade rare is the the thing that is made that cannot perish spoil or fade the reality is this that i've come across in many uh, many times in my ministry uh, people who are not sure whether they're a christian or not i've come across folks that that are concerned because of something they've done that, that perhaps God has given up on them. Uh, friends, I'll tell you this. In my ministry, what I figured out is most of the time when people are asking that question, they don't have much to worry about because they have given themselves to God. They have allowed God to work. But as I shared in my doctoral program with uh, some Baptist pastors, uh, they, they would tell me that if a person is truly saved, then then they can never be uh, cast out of heaven. And I, I think it's semantics. It's, it's, that is definitely true. God is not going to take away from us something that he wants more than anything for us. He wants more than anything for us to be his son or his daughter. He knows we're going to continue to sin. He wants us to, to grow in sanctification to turn away from that. When you see salvation in the New Testament, it refers to three things. It's past a point in life where you accepted and that faith grew, the confession of sin happened, the faith grew in you. It refers to the present, the ongoing process of sanctification, how God is making you more like himself, more holy as you learn to, to turn away from sin, to see it like he does, that it's smelly and ugly and it distracts and destroys good things in your life. And it refers to pu- future. We'll see here in a minute, it refers to the future this salvation, what will be consummated when Jesus comes back, when the second coming happens and our future and full glorification will happen. Salvation is a guaranteed inheritance for those that believe, those that follow, those who have faith. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, does 1 Corinthians tell us. And so you can understand this, it's not a, a, an excuse that understanding you have a guaranteed inheritance, it's not an excuse to just do enough to get by. What he's saying here is praise God, live a life of praise, live a God of worship, live a God of uh, a life of excitement because God has done these great things for you. Friends, would any of us just want to get in side the door and not to the penthouse of heaven. I think if we are thinking that way, we're thinking wrongly. What God wants to do is maximize every day. He wants for us to maximize every day that we have to live. And the best way to live is a life of praise, a life of excitement, a life of, I can't wait to wake up and see what God has in store for me today because he has done so much for me already. 
Let me tell you, if, if you're playing with house money, really, if you know that your destination is heaven, if you know it's a place that it can't be taken away, you're playing without every day's gravy. Isn't that relaxing? If you know you're already in the playoffs, you can just play easy and lose. If you know you're, you've already got the, the greatest prize, then you can live your life with grace and carefree, enjoying every day. That's what God wants us to hear. That's what Peter is trying to say because he understands he's writing to people who are going through some tough times. He's writing to people who will go through more tough times. One of the reasons I believe the Holy Spirit led me to preach First Peter in these summer months is because I think our world is increasingly hostile to Christians, to people of faith. As we stand up for God's truth, more and more do we come into conflict with those who are politically correct, those who have the current ways of thinking trump in their minds God, God's ways. Well, I believe the truth will win out, but I also believe it will be un, unpleasant in some ways for those who stand by the truth, for those who hold to the truth. I will tell you this, as a church, Northside will never win the popularity contest if it comes to that, because we will stand for the truth. And it's because we please God. It's because God is the ultimate blesser. It is because God can hold up his promises where I'm not sure any other force in the world can. The fifth blessing is we're shielded by God's power. The believer in Jesus is shielded by God's power. Verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's that future tense of salvation. Shielded by God's power. Shielded through faith by God's power. Every word is important there. Boy, you're probably one of the people that have watched Captain America the last two movies that have come out about Captain America. You know, they're very popular movies, sold a lot of tickets, so had to have some, a lot of customers here. Uh, Captain America used to be a cartoon when I was growing up. Uh, Captain America would throw his mighty shield. He had this supernatural, indestructible shield that would protect him from anything that the, the enemy, the arch-villain, had. And if it hit that shield, it would be repelled. It could not be destroyed. What this is saying, Peter, as he writes to these people who are in the midst of persecution by Nero and his Roman forces, is that God's power will shield you as you believe, as you have faith, as you trust him. And the same truth, the same blessing is for us today. Now, you may say, well, a lot of these people were killed. I have long maintained that death is not the worst thing that can happen to you physical death. We've already talked about what's your destination when you physically die if you're a believer. It is heaven. It's a new body. It's a, a place, a residence where there are no more tears or mourning or pain or disease. No, for me, the worst thing in life would be to have no hope. The worst thing for me in life would be to have no purpose. The worst thing for life 
for me, in life for me, would be to be wandering aimlessly through life, just trying to eat and party my way, physical pleasure through it. Friends, there's a better way. And God wants us to praise him. He wants us to live our life full of praise and worship as a result. There's an old song that goes like this. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. Would nothing else could help, love lifted me. Some of us are weak today, but I guarantee it's because we're focused on our power and not his. Some of us are sad today, but I guarantee it's because we're focused on our condition and not what he has done for us. Some of us today are, are we, we're not wondering how to go on, and I'll tell you this, that God has prepared the way that leads to life. It's for us to accept and to get on that road and walk with him. Out of whatever you're in, he can lift you. Our great problem is a lot of times, well, let's say most of the time, our praise is conditional, isn't it? If we're having a good day, praise God. If I got a raise, praise him. If that girl said hi to me, praise him. If my wife didn't get mad at me, praise him. Sister. <clears throat> These dear folks right here made a little plaque for me that hangs in my office. Life is not about waiting for the storms to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. The way you dance in the rain is to praise God all the time. You praise him when it's good, and you praise him when it's bad. You praise him when it's sunny, and you praise him when it's rainy. You praise him because he has been good to you. Praise be to God, for he did it. He saved me. He blessed me. He cares for me. He calls me his own. I am truly blessed. Fathers, we think about these things. Today, I pray that you've lifted our spirits. I pray that you've helped us to remember how good you've been to us. That out of the sinking sea, love lifted me. But maybe today there are some who haven't made that decision yet. I pray that the truth of your salvation is coming to bear. As it says in Ephesians that you have saved and you will save each of us through your grace by faith. Not by anything we've done. Not by our works so that we could boast. Salvation is available for each of us, but it must be believed. It must be trusted. It must be committed. So today, if a day, it's a day of salvation for anybody here, I pray that you'll bring them forth. Those of us who have made that decision, Father, would you help us to stop making our praise conditional? Would you help us to, to 
grow the kind of outlook on life that no matter what comes, that we would praise you, we'd worship you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You have a decision.